The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Sport Box. Here are your headlines today. The S&P 500 and Nasdaq close at 15-month highs as Wall Street cheers U.S. inflation cooling to its lowest level in more than two years. Chinese exports sink in their worst decline since the start of the pandemic, raising more red flags about the health of the world's second largest economy. G7 countries unveil long-term security guarantees for Ukraine after what was a testy NATO summit. But President Zelensky tells CNBC his ultimate goal is still full membership. The best guarantee for Ukraine is to be in NATO. On our way to NATO membership, we would like to have these security guarantees and to have them permanently so that they would make our relationship with other countries even more powerful. BASF cut its full-year guidance in a surprise announcement with the German chemicals giant suffering amid weak demand from industrial clients. And the FTC refuses to take no for an answer, filing an appeal to block Microsoft's $69 billion takeover of Activision Blizzard. The Game Maker CEO tells CNBC he can see no logic to the deal being denied. There's nothing that we really need to be doing that's going to encourage more competition. You know, this transaction is, gives an opportunity for us and Microsoft together to actually be able to compete against these entrenched competitors. It is the big data point for the week, but also pivotal, seen as a make or break a series for the market, for bond markets in particular, where we'd seen the short end yield rally hard on expectations that there was still a, a huge inflation challenge. So the data series yesterday, incredibly important for the direction of bonds and stocks. Now, U.S. inflation cooled sharply last month. The headline number slowed to 3% in June from a year ago, down from May's 4%, and a significant pullback from the 9.1% a year ago. Core inflation that strips out, of course, items like food and energy prices, rose 4.8%, the smallest year-on-year gain since October 2021. Breaking down by sections, now shelter, that accounted for about 70% of the increase in headline CPI, rising 7.8% on the year. Uh, that was an area the market had been closely watching, but other big components as well, including energy used vehicles. The CME Fed futures are pricing in a 92% probability of a 25 basis point rate hike this month. Chief economist or chief economic advisor for Allianz, Mohamed Alarian, has told our U.S. colleagues that yesterday's soft inflation print shouldn't change the Fed's trajectory. I don't think this number is going to change anything for July. The market is now pricing 90% probability that they'll hike. And I think that's absolutely right. What's interesting is September. There, the market is just above 20%. Um, I think the actual probability is higher than that. And what today's number will influence is the September implied probability of a rate hike. Just rescued the show. Been awake since 1 a.m. 
posted a June CPI print. We saw Wall Street rally building on the recent gains. It, it was uh, the third straight day uh, of positive uh, moves for the U.S. indices. All three of the majors ended in positive territory. Out in front was the tech-heavy Nasdaq. It caught a bid up of more than 1% on the day. S&P 500 gained about 7 tenths of a percent. Nine out of 11 sectors positive in the session led by communication services. The Dow Jones lagged a little bit but still gained about a quarter of a percent. Now for the week overall coming into today's session, all sectors are positive, led by energy, which is up nearly 4% for the week. Consumer staples is the laggard, but still even that basket of stocks is up 0.4%. In treasury markets, we saw yields move lower over the course of the session with spreads steepening. This morning, we have yields uh, lower for the front end of the curve. The two-year is at trading around 4.72% right now. The 10-year about 3.8%. We are seeing yields move slightly higher in the 30-year out toward the longer end of the curve, currently trading around 3.96%. Now, in the currency markets is where we saw perhaps the most dramatic action with the dollar index dropping sharply yesterday, 1.15% lower, its worst daily performance since last December. As investors think about what the weaker than expected inflation print means for the Fed's trajectory, for the week, the dollar index is now down 1.7% on pace for its worst week since November. And now this morning, we're seeing the losses continue for the greenback sterling crossing above the 130 mark. So really differing pictures now it looks like for the Bank of England and perhaps the Federal Reserve with investors ramping up their expectations of BOE rate hikes in recent days. So we're up 13 basis points to 130.05. Euro also trading firmly versus the greenback above the 111 mark this morning. Uh, The dollar meanwhile is trading marginally stronger versus the Japanese yen. We're at 138.56. Asian markets overnight have uh, joined the rally, the global rally that we've seen. You've got green across the board and some pretty strong gains. Hang Seng is up 2.3% in Hong Kong. The Nikkei 225 up a strong 1.4%. So the global sentiment has really taken a turn for the better in the wake of this softer inflation print, perhaps giving confidence to the investment community that central banks do in fact have a handle on inflation. Opening calls for Europe. What is the nod? Well, a similar picture to what we've seen in Asia. You've got green across the board as well. Of course, it is early days, but it looks as though Europe is going to continue marching higher as well. Karen. Juliana, let's get out to Giro Jung, who is Chief Economist at Mirabeau Asset Management. Giro, it was a big day for markets digesting the CPI, the base effects kicking in. So effectively saw some change now on this inflation number, giving us a, an element of disinflation. How welcoming are the, how much would you welcome the numbers, given that the market at this point is still digesting a very hot labour market? Sure, it's certainly good news that downside risks uh, to inflation are actually materializing. I think that's the first uh, big major takeaway from yesterday's CPI meeting in the US. And the second uh, important thing we think is that sticky inflation, or the so-called considered a sticky inflation part, is also easing. To what extent, though, is the challenge now behind us? Because the market's looking at the base effects that have certainly kicked in, and this number favourable year-over-year comparisons, but that effect starts to fade out by the second half. So is there still a problem as we look down the line for the rest of this year when it comes to inflation? Now, we actually think that inflation is likely to slow down further. 
Um, we uh, split really inflation into three categories in the US, goods prices, service prices, and shelter prices. And if we look at all these th three categories, the downward trend is likely to continue. We saw, for example, yesterday in goods prices that used car prices are coming down. Mannheim service tell us this is likely to continue. We see service prices. It's probably a little bit more ambiguous because service uh, inflation is really um, wage growth. Growth. Uh, we saw on Friday, as you mentioned before, that wage growth remains quite strong, but nevertheless, in, including for the shelter part, is actually also on a downward trend. And thirdly, on the shelter part, we do see both rental prices and the owner equivalent rents parts also easing. Numbers yesterday show 0 0.45, 0.46% month on month. So also a slowdown here in the shelter part, in this housing part. Hero, it also looks like the car insurance prices, which was another element that kept inflation elevated, is idiosyncratic and is poised to come down later in the year as well. I mean, looking at these numbers in whole, do you think the Fed can breathe a sigh of relief now and perhaps put the pause a more, in a more lasting way on the rate hikes after the July meeting? Sure. I mean, we actually uh, anticipate uh, one more hike and then the Fed is going to be done. So one and done, basically, scenario is our baseline. Uh, latest numbers are certainly encouraging. However, the U.S. economy has been more resilient than many, including us, probably anticipated. Uh, we saw, for example, that payroll gains are still quite strong north of 200,000 for demographic reasons. Uh, the number 100,000 is needed. So we're still, still really double the pace that the demographic trend would tell us. And wage growth, secondly, remains quite high. 4.5% is too much for a 2% overall inflation uh, target, we think. And thirdly, the latest ISM services did suggest that the services part of the economy continues to expand quite solidly. Is the Fed going to be able to pull off a soft landing, do you think? Is it still a possibility? Now, we expect a sharp slowdown in activity in line with global activity that is likely to slow down. Um, we, we expect a soft landing, mild recession scenario, very mild recession scenario starting later in Q3 or probably Q4. That's what our numbers say, Q4 and Q1 uh, are likely to show slightly negative real GDP growth numbers in the U.S. Gary, let me ask you about financial conditions because we are setting up for bank earnings this week and that will give us a reading on just what the lending environment looks like. But the Fed has also been working on its own new index looking at U.S. financial conditions and effectively all the measures that it's pulled together that takes into account what the Fed funds rate, the 10-year Treasury yield, 30-year fixed mortgage, triple B corporate bond yield, the, the Dow, for instance. It is telling us that effectively conditions are much tighter than some of the other indices that markets follow and that the Fed has looked at previously. What does that suggest in terms of the impact coming from a tight credit market? Yeah, sure. We do expect actually that this uh, these tighter credit conditions, uh, you take, for example, the SOFRI survey that the Fed also uh, mentioned uh, and Powell mentioned in, in recent press conference that is uh, gaining in importance because of the banking crisis in the US in March. They show that banks, including local banks, have become much more restrictive and this effect will uh, be uh, triggering through to the economy. And that's why we think that in Q4, we are likely to see negative uh, numbers. So this credit effect, in our opinion, is likely to be triggering through, through the economy later this year.
Here, you talked about a slowdown coming later this year, that you are, in fact, forecasting a sharp slowdown in the economy. What's going to be the driver? Where are you watching most closely? Is this going to be a slowdown led by the consumer, the corporate sector? Where do you see the weakness coming from? Sure. The, um, I mean, more than two-thirds of the U.S. economy is domestic consumption. Consumer spending has been quite resilient, e- even though it has been coming down. What we are looking at is um, excess savings, so the savings above the uh, natural trend or the, the normal trend, let's say, um, after after COVID. Excess savings are still plentiful, uh, but are also coming um, to, uh, to a slowdown. We are looking at the labor market. We see today jobless claims that improved a little bit in, re- in the recent two weeks. Uh, we will see whether this continues or whether we see um, a slight increase in, the, in those numbers. So labor market data and the credit conditions data that will be triggering three. Big picture view is, however, that uh, interest rates have been uh, turned or have become into have to have switched into ter- negative ter- into negative into a restrictive territory uh, since June since last summer. As an economist, we expect this to be uh, triggering through to the economy 12 to 18 months ahead, and that's why we think that in the second part of this year, uh, this tighter interest rate restrictive monetary policy will be felt and will be seen in the actual GDP numbers later this year. Gira, I think we're all bracing for that impact of monetary policy when eventually it hits. But can I ask you about the rest? Because China producing some very weak numbers today seems to be linked to this global slowdown, which is still going to ramp up a little bit further from here if we're going to have that lag effect catching up. What do you make of the China story from here? Is it one where we're going to see more stimulus because there's going to be simply no other choice for the PBOC and for Chinese authorities? Sure. Overall, we think that the Chinese recovery has been bumpy, a strong uh, rise in consumption. Some people call it revenge spending after the end of the lockdown rules in November last uh, last year. Uh, This effect seems to be losing some steam uh, somewhat. Uh, Right now, we do see uh, manufacturing in China, for instance, being in contraction territory, according to the PMIs. Uh, services uh, also slowing down, but still expanding slightly. Big question is uh, whether there will be a big bang approach of monetary and fiscal policy uh, to prevent a further slowdown or whether it will be more gradual targeted um, um, help uh, to the economy. We think it will be the second uh, option. So more targeted um, uh, fiscal uh, stimulus uh, more interest rate cuts from the uh, PBOC, but more targeted fiscal stimulus. So no big bang approach like we saw in 2008, 2009, Um, in particular regarding the real estate sector, which remains the Achilles heel of the Chinese economy. Gira, thank you for sharing your analysis with us. Gira Jung, Chief Economist at Mirabel Asset Management. On a programming note, don't miss our U.S. colleagues' interview with the San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly. That's coming up at 1700 CET exclusively on CNBC. Elsewhere in the central banking world, the Bank of Canada has raised interest rates for a second straight meeting. Policymakers increased the benchmark rate by 25 basis points to 5%, bringing its overnight lending rate to its highest level in 22 years and kept the door open for more hikes ahead. Meanwhile, South Korea's central bank remained on hold as expected, keeping interest rates unchanged at 3.5% for a fourth straight meeting. 
Policymakers confirmed there was no discussion about cutting rates, but said it continues to be open to a terminal rate of 3.75%. Coming up on the show, we'll be crossing out to Steve, who is in Vilnius as the NATO summit wraps up. He spoke to Ukraine's Vladimir Zelensky, as well as the Greek prime minister and the Czech president. We'll bring you those interviews later this hour. And later, we have two key data points on deck during the show. We'll be looking out for the UK's May GDP figures at 8 o'clock CET and final French inflation for June at 8.45. But next, we'll look at this morning's disappointing trade figures out of China and discuss how it's impacting one of Europe's largest industrial groups. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Chinese exports slumped to their lowest levels since the onset of the COVID pandemic last month as the country grapples with stagnant factory activity and weak global demand. Year-on-year exports for June fell 12.4%, while imports contracted by 6.8%, both far worse than expected. Let's get out to our colleague Sam for more. Sam, this is not just a reflection of the slowdown in the global economy, the, the macroeconomic impact here. What we're seeing on the ground is some locals now witnessing or referencing the fact that you've got unilateralism, protectionism and geopolitics coming into the mix, which of course puts more motivation on the Chinese to come up with some sort of thorn relations with the United States. Good morning to you, Karen. Well, that's certainly how the Customs Bureau this morning has been characterising what we got with this disappointing set of numbers today, that it is largely down to slowing global demand, particularly when you look at economic growth globally and also those geopolitics weighing on the situation. Uh, We've got to take into consideration, of course, the appetite, uh, certainly demand for Chinese products um, has been slowing down, particularly as many of these trading partners have been dealing with that sticky inflation and also higher interest rates. So the monetary policy has also been feeding into this as well. So no doubt that CPI print that we got is a bit of relief here. The Customs Bureau also saying that perhaps we could see um, some stabilisation towards the end of the year. But um, certainly this was worse than the market had been fearing, as you mentioned, with those exports. The worst reading we've seen since the onset of COVID, I actually had a look back and it was March 2020, a minus 17%. Um, so that just goes to show uh, how that is, that is playing out in terms of the outbound shipments. Um, the imports, that very much speaks to the productivity story over in China right now. We're seeing persistent weak domestic demand, particularly when you look at the sluggishness in the property sector. Uh, and you only had to look at a few clues when you look at some of the forward-looking indicators like South Korean exports, which are a good indicator of Chinese imports. Uh, they were down 19% which goes to show that uh, in terms of where some of this stuff is coming from, there is slowing demand, certainly for perhaps tech 
products like semiconductors, etc., uh, coming from places like Korea. Uh, but we're also seeing softness in demand when it comes to appetite for raw materials because we saw uh, copper imports also falling uh, in double digits in June. We did get some clues, certainly in terms of the exports, that that number wouldn't look pretty either. Uh, and that's because, of course, we did have the latest PMI numbers suggesting that there was weak foreign demand business confidence at these factories right now. It is an eight-month low. So that takes us back to before China uh, dismantled those very harsh COVID curbs. And then you look at the container throughput as well for the month of June, uh, and that showed slowing growth. So overall, a disappointing set of numbers. Interestingly, how Chinese uh, state media is characterising this onshore today. Of course, we got the UN-denominated numbers as well. Uh, they seem to uh, feel like it's all a bit hunky-dory, uh, up 2.1% or so in terms of that first half uh, growth for trade. And, and it's very interesting in terms of the strength we're seeing in terms of trade with Russia as well. Um, there very much is a view right now that uh, the retreat by Western brands is leaving uh, a gaping hole for China to fill right now, particularly when you look at autos and also some of those consumer electronics. Back to you. Sam, thank you so much for the breakdown. Uh, now, in terms of uh, European equities we're keeping an eye on this morning, BASF is front and center. The German chemicals giant has slashed its full-year guidance, hit by sluggish global demand, particularly out of China. The German company says it now expects EBIT for the year to come in between 4 and 4.4 billion euros. That's compared to a previous projection of up to 5.4 billion, so quite a downgrade. And that's down from nearly 7 billion a year ago. Um, Karen, this when I saw this news come through last night, I think they published around 5 p.m. London time. So after markets closed, uh, my first thought was, here's another chemicals company warning. They're not the first. We've had uh, profit warnings already from Crota, Clarion, BASF, Evonik, Lanxess. All the chemicals giants essentially have warned. Um, so I, I wonder to what extent the market will react negatively to this news because it feels like the weakness is already quite well known for the sector. Yeah, I mean, it's a sizable cut, isn't it? It's on the sales print. It's also on the earnings print. Uh, it's a, a huge range that's, been, a range that's been taken lower. So it is telling you that there's been a massive knock-on impact that we're seeing in the economy right now. And we've just covered China. I mean, there are the links there. As we talk about the EV market, as we talk about manufacturing on the ground, we've seen it in some of the industrial manufacturing numbers out of Europe as well, out of Germany, the powerhouse. So probably not surprising that the companies that are directly linked to these conditions and now feeling it as a pain point. The question is, does it roll on from just chemicals? I mean, chemicals do not operate in isolation. They go into many other things that uh, the big manufacturers use. So uh, you'd expect a ripple effect at some point. And it's quite a scene setter, isn't it, before earnings season? It absolutely is. And BASF is, uh, is probably the biggest uh, chemical company to watch. So quite telling given how many sectors the company touches. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.